Welcome to the GoTo Podcast. In this episode, cloud experts Lynn and Goiko discuss the start of the cloud, the adoption of the cloud by modern companies, and what the future of cloud looks like. Created for developers by developers, GoTo gathers the best minds in the software community. Stay up to date with the latest in tech through GoTo's top-rated events held online and in person in Chicago, Amsterdam, and Copenhagen, and by subscribing to the GoTo Conference's YouTube channel, where you can find thousands more high-quality dev talks. Learn more at gotopia.tech. My name is Bremen. I'm currently at GoTo Berlin, and I managed to bring Goiko and Lin together here at our event. And it's not the first time you meet each other, right? No, I think the first time was in uh, Sydney, Australia. Yeah, yeah, Sydney. Yeah, you were having a presentation and you had a co-presenter. Yeah, my son was there because I kind of thought maybe it would be interesting for somebody else to do all the difficult work. So I brought him on to kind of do a live coding demo. Um, it was his first presentation, he was nine years old, and nobody told him that coding demos are risky on stage, so he just went and did it, and I think it was, yeah, quite a show. Yeah, I remember uh, he deployed several times using Claudia.js serverlessly, and his output went from uh, I hate Vim to I really hate Vim. It was quite yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Vim hatred is uh, interesting because I forced him to use Vim and he didn't really like it, so yeah, we'll see how he grows up. <laughs> We're here to talk about cloud today. And I know cloud is a very broad term and it has been around for many, many years and it has probably changed over these years from what it used to be and what it is today. But there still is this feeling that cloud is some magic thing and being a modern company, you should move into the cloud, whatever that means. Can every company do that? Should every company have a cloud strategy? Well, I think the perspective is going to depend on where you're trying to work. You know, most of my work is done in the United States. And until previously, it was the West Coast of the United States, where basically most of the uh, currently um, prevalent cloud uh, providers uh, originated. Uh, so when I think of, you know, what's the start of cloud? This will date me. Red Dog, which was wearing, do you remember this? Wearing the red shoes? You might not know at Microsoft. No. I was still a Microsoft employee. So in my world, as a cloud architect, I have only deployed on the cloud for every vertical for over five, seven years. Now, I have colleagues that work in different areas in Europe and the Middle East, and they tell me about scenarios that are not appropriate for cloud. But in my work, I only use cloud. How is it for you? Um, kind of, I'm going to step back a bit and um, maybe look at this from a different perspective, because I think... The right way to look at this is the way power was distributed a long time ago. So the, back in the time of, I don't know, boilers and steam power, you, every large factory had their own boiler room. They had belts and shafts and, and you know, transformed um, steam into mechanical movements. And it, it, then kind of electrical energy came along and it was possible to just plug in and get that from somebody else. Um, and I think that allowed lots of people to focus on what they're really good at. So a shoe factory could focus on shoes rather than producing and servicing a boiler and wasting time on that. And, and that gave people economies of scale. It gave both electrical producers 
economies of scale to produce electricity cheaper and, and maybe cleaner and, and, and things like that. And it also allowed other people to focus on what they're really good at. And I think we are at the point in our industry where that kind of shift is happening. Uh, maybe 20 years ago, in order to really be a good software company, you had to have your own operations, you had to have your own hardware people, you had to have your own Linux admins or Microsoft admins if you were unfortunate, and you had to get all sorts of stuff therein. But then we are starting to get now into a situation where you don't actually have to do that. You can focus on what you are really good at. And for me, that's one of the biggest advantages. Um, I'm currently building a product with a colleague and there's only two of us in this whole company. We are able to compete with companies that have maybe 200 or 300 employees because we do not have to do anything that's not really our core business. So for me, that's kind of the advantage of the cloud is thinking about plugging into an electricity network and, and just using that as a utility because my core competence is not going to be producing electricity. My core competence is going to be doing something else. And, and I think maybe, you know, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, most organizations are going to realize that as well. Some organizations are realizing that now. And I think, you know, it took probably a long time to get all the steam boilers out and get, you know, the early generators out. And we still have companies that, as a backup, they have their own generators just in case the power grid fails. You know, hospitals have that. Um, police probably has that. An average company might have some backup for, you know, a couple of hours. So maybe that's an interesting thing to think about, you know, what... what if this became something like a public utility, what would you have to do to remove the risks of the public utility going down and how much do you actually need to risk it? So the equivalent of you know, a hospital or something like that would be maybe some highly secure thing that really operates critical infrastructure. In that case, I would expect them to have a backup plan. But for an average factory or an average company, where they can survive an hour of electricity going down without something horrible happening, maybe there's no huge risk of going to the cloud. And, and I think that's more of a risk, risk mitigation, risk evaluation strategy. So can anybody do it? Probably. Should everybody do it? I don't know. That's really depending on the risk and whether how do you de-risk your infrastructure provider not being there for you when you need it. But at the same time, you know, there are significant benefits of not wasting time on doing things that are not people's core business. But still, you mentioned companies that don't find it appropriate to go to the cloud. Can yeah. you give me some example of these? Yeah, I have, a, I have a colleague that works in uh, the Middle East and he works for the government of the Middle East. Mm -hmm. And uh, they, uh, after doing some evaluation, I believe uh, went with the Oracle Cloud because it's a uh, um, deployable in a data center with more control. So um, that was it was a really interesting conversation that I had with him about this because in my world the way that we have redundancy is we have multiple cloud providers, um, but that's not available in all parts of the world. And so for his situation to have redundancy with some part in the public cloud and some part in a private cloud they went with this blended solution, which is, again, something that hasn't been important for my customers. You know, it really depends on which providers are available and where, I think. That's been my situation.
And again, that's something that will change over the next, yeah. you know, 10, 20 years. And, and uh, you know, the example you mentioned is a large government, um, whether it's better for the taxpayers of that government to pay, you know, Unix admins or Microsoft admins and, and hardware and replace hardware every couple of years, or whether it's better for them to um, rent it from someone else. That really, you know, depends at, at some scale. Um, it's justifiable for companies to operate their own electricity. I, I assume very, very large factory complexes, it's probably cheaper for them to make their own electricity either from solar power or from you know, rivers or something like that. It's some kind of smaller or medium scale that makes no sense at all. So I guess there, there will be a shift there whether very, very large banks, there was a report, for example, from uh, Bank of America a couple of days ago where they claimed that for them it's $2 billion a year more economical to operate their own kind of flexible infrastructure than rent it from somebody else. Maybe, maybe I, I don't know, at, at some scale that will make sense. At the same time, I expect that people who specialize in um, providing uh, IT hosting, uh, hardware hosting, software hosting can iterate on that and reduce the costs quite faster than a bank would. So although it might be that today it's cheaper for somebody at the scale of Bank of America to run their own stuff, in five years' time, that might change because, you know, um, these cloud providers, they have their own patents on, on data center cooling. They have, uh, they're investing in dumping uh, data centers into lakes and, and, you know, frozen rivers and things like that to cool where they can get to that because they have economies of, of massive, massive scale which they can provide. And I think the critical thing that lots of people still feel unconfident about is, uncomfortable about is security of data. Yeah. And encryption of data and how much you want to kind of share the data. Again, there are some examples where, for example, Amazon got so big now that uh, their competitors are uncomfortable giving them their business data. And there's examples of, I don't know, Walmart in the US insisting that none of their suppliers have data in Amazon because Walmart doesn't want Amazon to be able to access anything there. So um, I think. The, the, the challenges that people are facing migrating to the cloud are no longer technical, they're more kind of security oriented or privacy oriented um, and that's a completely different game. That's more about where and how we manage and store the data. But given that, do you have examples of companies that you wouldn't think were in the cloud but still are? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have a lot. Um, I mean, we were just watching the Amazon conference because they're going to put uh, unexpected examples in their keynotes. Mm -hmm. Capital One is the one of the big banks in the United States, and they're all in on cloud for quite a long time now. Um, quite embarrassingly, though, they had a big security breach, not because of an Amazon problem, but because of what Goiko was talking about, which is one of the blockers to cloud adoption is It's not only not trusting the security of the provider, it's not understanding the security paradigm. Um, one of the things I do in addition to being an architect is I make courses on LinkedIn Learning, lynda.com, and one of the areas that I've really focused on is data security, because as an architect, I find that there's just not enough uh, focus put on this area, and so you have first this, this trust problem, and then you have a lack of knowledge and sort of understanding, and it, it confounds the problem. Um, so... So it's kind of a side answer to your question. Um, there are uh, lots of infrastructure companies that I've seen from the US, like banks, on the cloud. 
but it's not without challenges. Do you have any idea about what the global footprint would be if everything could be moved into the cloud? Footprint in what sense? Um, like climate or, or well, I, again, I, I, my assumption is that at such a big economy of scale, uh, cloud providers can spend significantly less energy per unit of delivered output, whatever that means or is measured, because they just can have much cheaper cooling, much kind of more efficient energy processes and things like that, where they can. Um, compared to especially smaller organizations or uh, even mid-sized organizations that would have to buy commercial off-the-shelf hardware, these people can do custom stuff that's specialized for, for what they need. Um, I, I don't have any uh, insight or data on you know how th these people are doing it. Uh, there are lots of press releases now because climate change is a big topic. People claiming that you know the 50% renewable or 100% renewable. There's no way for me to verify that, but I think I think it's going to be much easier for large providers to do that than for smaller organizations that have to you know buy electricity at. Um, kind of retail prices and buy hardware at retail prices and buy commodity hardware rather than doing specialized things. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm really not an expert in that, but there's a reasonable assumption that they can do it more effectively. So uh, it's been really interesting. I was pretty ignorant in this area, um, but recently I discovered an ex-Amazon employee, Paul Johnson, who now has taken up the cause of educating people about the climate impact of the cloud data center. Um, uh, vendors, and he's started to do talks about it. So it's really been fascinating to me. Um, I knew from reading some of the company press out uh, uh, press releases that Google was really putting more of a focus on this and, and purchasing carbon offsets. But you know, you always have a bit of skepticism when the company puts it out. So here's this guy Paul, and he's uh, now been doing keynote talks at technical conferences and uh, really uh, looking at the data that's available and analyzing it. And it appears that Amazon has work to do in this area mm -hmm. based on his information, which I'm just really reporting. I haven't you know, like dug into it myself, but um, I applaud efforts like his. And I hope that he encourages not only uh, you know, more people to look into the data and to talk about it and, and ultimately the companies to be more responsible. But again, I would agree with Goiko that so long as we can get the companies focused on this through public pressure, that it's sort of logical that these large companies would probably be more effective than individual companies trying to have their own data centers. Um, I, I'm actually pretty pleased with what I'm seeing from Google, which um, given some of the other activities of Google uh, is, is, makes me happy. <laughs> so they're doing something good. Let's look into the future. What comes after cloud? Well, I, I don't know. It depends how you define cloud, because cloud started as uh, renting virtual machines from somebody. And then it became actually renting more infrastructure services like storage or databases. And now we're seeing um, pretty much like application hosting and, and things like that. And I think, um, ironically, if I look at what Salesforce was selling as cloud in, in 2001, 2002, I think that's where the word cloud originated. Mm -hmm. Salesforce was selling something like, we'll give you this business capability. Like, we'll give you a customer relationship management system. Don't worry about where, how, we will run it for you. And we're now seeing 
higher and higher level applications being launched by these cloud providers. Um, I've noticed that Amazon launched their own contact center application. Um, the, the, Microsoft is launching higher and higher level services that you can rent from them. So uh, it looks like we're kind of coming back full circle where cloud started from, here's this business capability, rent it from us, to, hey, this is very, very low level technical, rent it from us, and then kind of higher level technical, higher level technical, and now we're getting into the stage where, again, here's this business capability, rent it from us. And that's an interesting cycle. So I think, um, if anything, our industry moves in cycles. And I would expect that after this, we start getting another cycle of here's some more crazy technical capability rented from us. And then, you know, that's based on, on some other way. I, I don't know what that is, but I would assume that that's kind of the cycle that we get. Being able to rent, rent, rent different stuff, like rent GPUs, rent... Um, I, I know you, you're doing a lot with machine learning, but, you know, rent machine learning uh, platforms from us or, or something like that. Um, that, that would be an interesting thing to see. Could that more crazy idea be quantum computing in the cloud? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, th I see two things that are I think are interesting. Um, so in, in the world of quantum, I actually had an opportunity just through kind of random chance. Um, one of the big quantum computer companies is based in Vancouver, Canada, and was in the airport. And I was with a, a, a very uh, aggressive programmer friend, and we saw the D-Wave people, and we engaged with them. And uh, we actually, many years ago, got access to the quantum simulator. So that's when I got interested in quantum computing as a potential solution. And I've tried to educate myself uh, subsequently about the reality versus the hype, which is quite hard because there's very strong opinions on do we actually have a real quantum computer that you know is able to process qubits or not? Is it some fake thing, right? Um, and what are the categories of problems that are solvable in quantum? It was interesting, there was a paper a 17-year-old girl uh, put out recently, and I can't, maybe it was Google, I can't remember the company, but the, her goal was to prove uh, the applicability of quantum algorithms. And what she actually proved was the reverse that for the class of problems she was working on, you could just optimize classic algorithms, which, you know, again, I, it's a very fascinating space. Um, of course, this week there was big news from Google that there was a big breakthrough exactly. on, yes. yeah, on an algorithm, which I haven't really dug into yet. Um, it, the challenging thing I find is the level of mathematics that you have to have to be able to validate what's published is uh, quite advanced. And so, you know, you read the paper and then you go look at the math and you try to figure out, is this a real thing um, for those of us who don't work in this day in and day out? Um, it is interesting, though, that one of the primary investors in D-Wave is Jeff Bezos. And it goes to Goko's comment about, uh, will we have quantum as a service on Amazon, right? Like, that's the logical thing. That's the one crazy idea, but I have one even further. So I've been doing a lot of work with... Um, Uh, research groups that are working on um, uh, cataloging genomic sequencing variants for um, uh, creating uh, personalized uh, uh, treatments for human diseases. And, uh, you know, they're not doing this, okay, don't get me wrong, but around that ecosystem and learning, it is interesting to look at some of the, the early efforts around using DNA as a storage mechanism, um, which can be quite frightening to think about. I mean, the matrix, right? Mm -hmm. um, but Again, I, I think it's critically important that we follow the technological advances. One of the things that I would commend you for is that you had this woman here at GoTo speaking about China. Because, uh, of course, we all know China generally has a different ethical base than we work from. And particularly in these newer technologies, 
I think it's actually extremely important to look globally at what's happening. So in terms of quantum and in terms of using you know, DNA as a storage mechanism, I'm looking to the world, but particularly China, to see what's coming so that I can understand it and figure out what's going to be the impact in my work. Thank you. I think that's a wonderful statement to conclude our discussion here. Thanks a lot for your Thank you very much. Thank you. And enjoy the conference. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks. Will do. Thanks for listening to this episode of the GoTo Podcast. Head over to gotopia.tech for lots more content from the brightest minds in software development.